Hello friends and welcome to Building Tradition, where we tell stories from designers, builders, and artisans. History informs the future, and so do our guests. I'm your host, Peter Miller. We're joined today by Tricia Huntley, whose design practice spans the globe, but she's recently moved from Washington, D.C. to her hometown, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Trisha's interior design ambitions began when she was a young girl, arranging her own room and cutting out magazine photos of interiors that she liked. Her grammar school friends voted her most likely to become a designer. Her professional experience includes designing interiors for hotels and houses. She's launched her own practice in 2006, and her work has won several awards, including making the Lux Magazine Gold List. She has designed her own line of custom furniture. Her aesthetic sensibility is decidedly eclectic. Welcome to Building Tradition, Tricia. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. What defines classical interiors? You know, I think that's an interesting question nowadays, simply because I would say it's different than it was 15 years ago. Um, classical has maybe redefined itself. Uh, more recently, I think it's hard to not have it be a little bit more modern these days, just because of the world we're living in. We're, we're more exposed to everything. We uh, live in a more modern world. So I do think classical is informed by classicism, obviously. That's always going to be what a classical interior is. But I think nowadays it's a little more open-ended. Um, I think Again, like 15 years ago, if you said classical interior, it would be it would be a very specific look with not much range. Nowadays, I think it'd be interesting. You could probably classify a lot of different types of designers and their work as classical, at least classically inspired. So I just think it's a it's a much broader genre now. But I think at its soul, like I always tell people, I'm a classicist in my soul. Like I'm a classicist by training. Um, I push the envelope in a lot of directions, but there are certain tenets of my work that I hold strong to, and uh, they're the backbone of what I do. They're always a starting point for sure for what I do. So yeah, I'd say that's what classicism is these days. Can you achieve classical interiors without architectural detail? Well, if it's, a, if it's an old home, and it's already, and you're doing a renovation, do I think you can wipe out that classic, all those classical details and still say it's classical? I suppose you could put in a bunch of classical furnishings with this modern envelope, but how ironic do you want to be? I mean, it's like, what's the point? If you're a classicist and it's a classical interior and there's good classical details, you would of course want to try to keep them. And if you can't keep them, you'd want to honor them and carry some kind of common thread throughout the interior. So I'm going to say no. I want to say no. We have another magazine uh, other than traditional building period homes, Old House Journal, which you're familiar with, called Antique Trader. And in talking to the antiques dealers in that space, I hear a lot of, oh, the young people don't want brown furniture. Uh, I guess maybe the clutter that's associated with ornament and classicism is maybe that's what's bothering the younger generation or so I hear. Do you think that's all true? No. In fact, I have young clients and they do like brown furniture. Not, I mean, not all of them. Or sometimes they just want it like a, it's almost, you know, the whole 
a ubiquitous pop of color, which I think is the worst term on the planet, but it's now that you, it's the, the pop of brown almost. <laughs> like sometimes they want a really clean interior then they want just a, a few antiques uh, kind of put in there. But um, no, I think there's some, I don't know. I mean, college age kids probably don't want brown because they're living in, a, in an environment, a world that doesn't necessitate it. But young people who are buying homes, my clients, they do like traditional pieces, good antiques. Um, they like to have some of their, their parents and grandparents things. So I would say that's definitely not the case anymore. Either anymore or never was. I, don't I know. know you work for clients all over the world. Are those clients anywhere or Midwest clients? Does it, does it, differ? I would say of the ones who, I mean, they all have different aesthetics, certainly, you know, Washington, definitely, they like to have antiques and traditional pieces. Um, but Florida, yes. New York, yes. Sometimes it's, it comes down to first versus second home. Sometimes the second home, they want it to be much more modern or clean because they want to sort of just have a very simple lifestyle in those places, whereas their their main home is more about their own personal history and they want to be surrounded with things that really speak to their life and maybe their family. So that's sometimes where the difference is. But I would say across the board, I mean, whether it's the United States, Switzerland, London, there's always been a mix in what I do. That's a great point about first home, second home, and maybe second time around wanting to get clean and, and uh, sleek and unburdened. I live in a house now, I've been in for 40 years, I've collected so much stuff. The whole idea of moving and downsizing and getting rid of stuff is way too daunting, so I, I haven't done anything. What kind of research do you do before beginning an interior design project? Well, certainly I always focus on, there's, there's two bits of research we do. One is the house, which is often a renovation for us. And then this other part is the clients, which is two prong approach. When it comes to the house, if there's an existing vernacular there that um, has integrity, we definitely lean into that. And we will do our research in terms of whether those were added details, authentic, original details, you know, what was happening in that genre, et cetera, et cetera. And if stuff has been kind of mucked up along the way in the house, we'll try and remove some of that, extract some of that, and then reintegrate things and details that have to do with the originality of that architecture. In terms of the client, there's the whole, like who they are as people, whether it's their lifestyle, if they have kids, what their jobs are. Honestly, we ask a lot of kind of weird questions of our clients to try and get to the essence of who they are and not just this maybe mask they've put on. As you know, there's a lot of that in, in places like Washington where they have this persona and we want to kind of leave that behind and get to the heart of who they are as people because that's where they're going to be living. It's not, it's not work. It's not on TV. It's just their home. So that comes down to asking really like I said, funny questions. And that will inform things like our palette, how much eclecticism, if it does lean more modern, more traditional, this is all with like the furnishings, finishes, et cetera. But that's added onto the envelope, which I always tell them that's the first thing we're going to address because that's something you don't want to get. I don't want to get too eclectic with the envelope. That has to have some integrity and consistency. And then we get into the decorative part. 
Give me an example of one of the quirky questions you ask. I might ask, and this will probably date me, but like, you know, your favorite music album is one of them. Like a, a movie that you thought was really beautiful. It doesn't even have to be like the settings of the movie. Don't, I don't have to get that specific. Just like a movie that you thought was beautiful. What's your favorite piece of clothing? What designers do you love? You know, are you a jewelry wearer? Or do you like simplicity? Things like that, which um, they don't really know sometimes what I'm asking, but it just starts to filter down to who this person is. Well, I'll date myself too, Tricia, by telling you that I use the expression, <laughs> I sound like a broken record with an 11 year old. And then it made me <laughs> realize he doesn't know what a record yeah. is. Um, so do you start an interior design project with a theme or is it always, you, you say it's- Yes. Depends on we the house. Always develop, yep, we always develop a concept. That's, in fact, that's what I always tell our clients, that's our benchmark, that's our North Star. So after doing the questions and analyzing the envelope, et cetera, based on all that, we come up with a concept. We have a concept board, which is um, a series of images that is supposed to be sort of everything filtered down into a, this look. These images sort of sum it up. And I even put in words sometimes, like the words that summarize the project. And I say, that's our North Star, and that's going to drive every single decision moving forward. That way, shiny object syndrome doesn't take over. We don't lose track of what this house really is and needs to be. Um, and end up, like, especially if you're doing eclectic, it can get become hodgepodge real fast. So it's just having your eye on the ball the whole time. And that concept drives all our decisions moving forward. So give me an example of a North Star. Is it an object? I know. So it's like a, it's a, it's an image, it's a board. It's a, it's even a PowerPoint with all, a bunch of different images on it. That could be anything. It could be an image of a car, a flower, um, you know, a face, uh, grass, like just all these things that have been filtered through their questions and put into this collage, if you will that summarizes what it is. And then I do have like a little tagline at the bottom. Right. Is there anything you do, Tricia, on every project that is your signature? I, I would say yes. There's things that I almost always like to go to. I love chinoiserie. Often it's just like a Cormondale screen, which I love to use in projects because you're getting kind of the best of everything. It fills a wall. It's historic. Um, it's decorative, you know, it's craftsmanship. So I love those all day long. I do those quite a bit in projects. Um, yeah, that's a pretty good go-to. Who or what decorative arts or, or craftsmanship do you, uh, or crafts people do you collaborate with in your work and how do you find these sources? Well, that's actually an interesting question because now being in Minneapolis, I had to reinvent the wheel a little bit on that. You know, I had a whole bevy. I had my whole stable of people I worked with in D.C. And while you can still work with them in some ways, I want to be patronizing local people. So often it's just asking people I respect, other designers I respect, architects I, I respect in the area. So I'm working with this gentleman now um, who's, who's going to be doing the plaster work in my home. And he's just excellent. He's he's local and he's done projects all over the country, all over the world. And I found him through a fellow designer um, on Instagram. So I'll give you his name. I want to do a series on plastering. And he's amazing. He, their, their company is Auto. It's, it's Auto like decorative. 
painting or something to that effect. But he's actually doing that Tadillac plaster in my shower, which is like that ancient technique, um, I believe from the Middle East where it's, it becomes waterproof. So my, my master shower is going to have plaster on the inside of it, which he's doing. So pretty cool. You mentioned uh, asking around, talking to architects, other designers. Are there other professional types who you find yourself collaborating with in addition to craftspeople? on most of your projects, be it the builder, the architect, the landscape designer? Sometimes metal workers come up, obviously. Yes, the decorative finishers is a big one, um, whether it's decorative painting, plasterwork, what have you. Stonemasons, um, even people who do really bespoke tile. I am not a fan of, like if I've seen it a lot online or in print, I, I go the opposite way. So, people who make unique tile or even tile that hasn't been seen much. Like I'm, I'm using this company that's in Wisconsin right now for several tiles. Um, I found this company in Arizona, which does this. Um, it looks like a Saltillo tile, but it's a little bit different source them for the house. So I just like trying new, I like trying and finding new trades. You know, I like people who haven't been discovered yet. I think it's fun right. to use them. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, also a way to be creative. You know, it's like, if you, the way that our industry is now, you sort of feel like you've seen it all and done it all. If I can do something different, that feels like it gets my creative juices going. Is there anything that all or most of your clients have in common? Sense of humor. Yeah. And I would say they're not followers. Which is why you're searching for unique things. Yeah. yeah. My, my clients tend not to be joiners every now and then. There's someone that sort of is like that, but they're kind of outliers. Um, they're really smart and they're savvy and they have great senses of humor. They're humble. Although across the board, they could be the least humble people if they wanted to be. Um, they're res respectful and just, you know, they, they're champions of my work, which is just really lovely. I mean, some of the things they've said and done on my behalf has been really meaningful. So what are you working on right now that you're enthusiastic about? Well, I hate to be this designer, but I'm pretty enthusiastic about my own house right now. Like I've never been that designer who's just always doing her own house. It's always been other people's projects. But for that reason, the fact that I actually get to focus on my own right now is pretty exciting. Um, and it's such a gem. It's such a beautiful house on the outside. Um, it's, you know, a, a center hall colonial, but it has almost Moorish accents in terms of the architecture, but the interior was like straight 82, which as you can imagine was horrific. So having this beautiful envelope to work from and then get rid of all the bad and really make us the gem it was meant to be. I mean, that's, doesn't get better than that. When, when was the house originally built? 29. But interestingly enough, and I found this out from my next door neighbor, um, 29 on the East Coast is very different than 29 in the Midwest. We lagged um, in terms of trends. So it's not the Art Deco that you would see on the East Coast. It's sort of, it seems a little older even. So it's interesting. It's interesting to see that. Um, but good bones, strong, good bones, strong material, probably a lot of redeeming value just in the materials alone. Exactly. Beautiful. What's Moorish about it? Floors. These archways that are on the exterior of the house. And you see this throughout Minneapolis and St. Paul. They did these. It they does. It looks like Spanish. They come to a point. 
Well, yeah, they have, they're like these repeated archways that um, are kind of capped off and they do some other things on the inside. So it's, it's, it almost looks Moroccan. It's very interesting. That is true of a lot of early Florida architecture, which was, yes, meant, you know, Meisner exactly. was, was, was creating a fantasy and sort of a, a placeless state. Um, and, and, yes, and it, very, it looks very Palm Beachy almost in right. a way. Right. Interesting. Um, what advice would you give to uh, young designers just starting out? What should they do to prepare themselves for a successful career? You know, I think the one thing there's, well, there's so many things I love to give advice to young designers, but I just really want the younger designers to be knowledgeable and smart and well-versed in everything. I think the whole, I've, I love what I see online and I love what you do. And so I want to be a designer. Like, I just don't want to hear that anymore. It's like, why, why do you want to be a designer? What, what is really meaningful and speaks to your soul about it? So I think they should be studying architecture. I think they should be studying the decorative arts. I think they should have, I think they should be doing um, internships with craftspeople. I think they should maybe even work in a showroom. So they know a lot about textiles, you know, if someone comes into my office as an intern and they don't know what COM is and they don't know that silk is bad in the sun and all these other little things, they're going to cost us a lot of money. So I just think education, 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 whether that means you went to school or not, even though I'm a big proponent of it, I have my master's, then you should be getting your education from seasoned designers. That's I think I know one. the answer to this. You took art history at George Washington in Washington, D.C., probably because you already knew you were interested in art and design. It, it wasn't what sparked your interest now. No, but they all, they all come from the same place, right? Like it's beauty and it's um, beauty created for purpose, I guess, whether it's, you know, fine art, you know, paintings, interior design, architecture, it's beauty with purpose. And I think that's always been my passion since I was, in grammar school yeah in fact nice. probably driven from and i say this from the fact that i had these three brothers who were crazy men wild and were always invading my space so i just kept trying to like create beauty where i could it started with my bedroom and then it grew from there it wasn't so girly that they wanted to stay out of there no it was girly and so they wanted to destroy it they would like to come <laughs> in there and muck it up naughty little boys and now you're launching yourself back in your hometown, Minneapolis, St. Paul. How's it going? It's good. You know, there's a very interesting and robust talent base here in terms of craftspeople, um, architects, designers. And the thing about Minneapolis that's so great, which I always sort of carry through to my life in D.C. is, you know, people don't suffer fools here. It's, it's integrity is a very important part of life um, and having character and being honest and just all these great things. And they carry that through to their work. So having that as the backbone of why people are doing what they're doing is really exciting to be around that. Um, and it's obviously smaller, it's a smaller market, but I just really love the community thus far. I think it's really, they're just really interesting, exciting people. I don't blame you, and I agree with you. I have Midwestern roots myself. 
Uh, last question, you've talked about the importance of education and experiential education, a variety of things from making it yourself to understanding how things are made. What would you say about the importance of a classical education? I almost don't talk about it very much because I have, I tend to get on a soapbox and I can get preachy about it, but I can't, I just think everybody should have a classical education. I don't think you should have a modern education until you have a classical education. Like, I don't think you should be teach. They should be taught modernism, honestly, until they've been taught classicism. I feel like there's um, a sequencing to it, which is very important. It's sort of like you have to um, know all the rules before you can break them. You know, that old, I think it might be Picasso right. or someone who, who stated that, but that's what I think classical education is. You have to learn all the right ways to do things before you can sort of turn it on its head or strip it away. That's the backbone of good design. Good architecture is traditional education. So I'm a big proponent for it. Yeah, the knock on it is that there are too many rules, but you make a good point. If you know the rules, you know how best to break them. Exactly. Like, I mean, if I hadn't learned, I hadn't, first of all, I had a classical education and then I had um, my first jobs were with very traditional people. If I hadn't been taught the importance of symmetry, I can't imagine what some of my floor plans would look like. Sure, I break the rules and I do, I like to throw it off every now and then. But knowing that symmetry is what creates order and uh, calm and uh, a good space is how I start. And then I can kind of tweak it from there. There's actually new research, neuroscience research, which proves that symmetry is soothing to the mind. Well, thank you, Tricia. This has been interesting. I knew it would be. Always fun to talk to you, Peter. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Pete Miller. And you're listening to Building Tradition, brought to you by Traditional Building Magazine. Subscribe on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.